Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. This is a big book or big chapter. So uh, we'll see how far we get. Uh, Acts 19. In verse 1. It says, Now it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. You know, I keep mentioning this every time we start a new chapter. But I think it's so cool. It is so beautiful what we see happening here. Just the canvassing, the, the landscape, just canvassing, spreading the good news, fighting the good fight. You see it in Paul. You see it in Philip. You see it in Peter. You see Lydia's witness. You see all kinds of different things. You know, little Timmy. And it's so incredibly beautiful, especially knowing that, you know, it's all in obedience to the Lord. The Lord is the one who's doing the work. And you see all these planters, all these waterers, even in the face of persecution. You see all these things. And it's like, well, it's just such an encouragement for the days in which we live. And so here in verse 1 says, Now it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. Now, if you remember Apollos, he was the one who was kind of set straight by, you know, this beautiful couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And when I mean set straight, I mean doctrinally. Remember, it says in, in verse 26 of, of chapter 18, then Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Accurately, Remember, so you have like iron sharpening iron. You know, it's not to say that uh, 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 Apollos wasn't iron. He was iron. Just could use a little bit more sharpening. And who was it that did it? Aquila and Priscilla, male, female, husband, wife. You see, we, we, we mentioned that last week, how sometimes, you know, wives are in a position where they think, oh, I have to you submit to my husband, you know, which is a biblical truth to submit to your husband. But then at the same time, what if your husband isn't submitting to Jesus Christ? You know, if your husband says, hey, baby, let's go do some crack. Are you going to go do crack in submission to your husband? No, you have to make your stand, wife. And for a husband, you know, you have to stand before the Lord and be in submission to Jesus Christ. That's the biblical model. And so such is the case with Aquila and Priscilla. And then what do we see? The Lord is using them to sharpen beautiful, beautiful Apollos. And remember, Apollos in his ministry, you know, once he was uh, explained, when things were explained to him more accurately, the, th the, the ways of the Lord. Look what happens in verse 27 of, of chapter 18. It says, when he desired to cross to Achaia, in verse 27, uh, the, the, and he's getting close to Corinth. This is nearing Corinth. The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. He wasn't a scaredy cat. You see, he vi vigorously refuted publicly, showing from the scriptures, not just making stuff up, showing from the scriptures, that Jesus is the Christ, the ministry of Apollos. That Priscilla and Aquila watered. And in, in the hearts and in the minds of Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila, who planted? Paul. Remember, he came into town. He says, oh, you guys are tent makers. So am I. And they said, oh, you know, they shot the breeze a little bit. They hit it off and hit it off well. From the carnal sense, we can say, yeah, they really hit it off. But in a spiritual sense, you can kind of smile in your heart of hearts, smile and know that the Lord had set up a divine appointment. And so, you know, he made his way to Achaia. 
or he made his way to, he went from Achaia in, in verse 27, but then in chapter 19, verse 1, he made his way to Corinth. And what a blessing he was in Corinth. A problem that came up was carnality in the church in Corinth where, you know, they started to have factions and say, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I only listen to Peter. I only listen to Paul. I only listen to Apollos. And Paul caught wind of it and wrote a letter to them and says, hey guys, you know, we're nothing. We're just, we're just planters. We're just waters. It, it's, it's God. God is one who brings increase. And so it's kind of like a little meanwhile. Verse 1 is like a little meanwhile because we're going to see, to, uh, see what the Bible says about Paul and what Paul is doing. But I love the very beginning. It says, and, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. So that's your little meanwhile. I don't read comic books. You know, I stopped reading comic books when I was like eight years old, you know, maybe even earlier because I matured, I matriculated. No offense to people who read comic books. I know adults who read comic books, but you know, it's not my cup of tea. But, you know, you read a comic book, you know, you see it and it says like, meanwhile, you'll see like, you know, Superman's doing whatever in the comic book. And then it says like, meanwhile, and then, you know, Lex Luthor is like, you know, concocting a plan, you know. So that's old school. I don't know in modern day, but like back in my day, it was Lex Luthor and Superman. So I don't know how it is now. If I re remember back when I was, uh, you know, when I was a child, I thought as a child, no offense, no offense to any adults that are into comic books. But, you know, let's look at this in verse 1. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, and so it says, Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Remember in the previous chapter, chapter 18, verse 23, he was in Galatia and Phrygia. And so he's in Galatia, Phrygia, and, you know, it, what happens, you know, we, it cuts off a little bit and gives an account of, you know, what uh, 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 Apollos and Achilla and their ministry unto uh, uh, unto uh, 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 Apollos, you know, husband and wife unto Apollos. But then now we go back to Paul, and he's in Ephesus, and it says here in verse one at the end, and finding some disciples, mathetes. Remember, mathetes is disciples in the Greek. It's a learner to be a pupil, mathetes. And this is what happens in verse two. He said to them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's a hardcore question. You know, in a lot of Christian circles today, a lot of times people think, okay, yeah, you know, I'm a disciple, I'm a pupil, I'm a learner, I read the Bible. And look at this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Remember, he's posing the questions to mathetes, to disciples, pupils, learners. A lot of times people think, oh, it's, it's automatic. You know, you believe in Jesus Christ, then boom, Holy Spirit. But remember the Holy Spirit? Remember our study in Acts chapter 8? We see how you have all these people who believe. They believe in Jesus Christ, even a fellow by the name of Simon. And then Peter comes into town. And then he prayed for the people, and all the people received the Holy Spirit, save one. With the exception of one person, his name was Simon. You know why the Holy Spirit skipped over him? His heart wasn't right before the Lord. He had bitterness in his heart. That's why we have to protect our hearts. You know, I know there's a lot of things that can really impact our hearts, especially when people do you wrong. When people hurt you. When people stab you in the back, when people talk about you behind your back, when people do whatever, all kinds of people there. You know, we live in a, a fallen world. 
and people will hurt you. But you must protect your heart. Because what happens with bitterness? What happens? You know, it's like it can grow. You know, don't you have to protect your heart? I can urge you to protect your heart, but you have to protect your own heart. Because I don't want you to be like a Simon where the Holy Spirit skipped over him. You see, it's very important to understand these things from the truth of God's holy word. Not just, you know, people, a lot of people think, okay, yeah, I believe. And then boom, I have the Holy Spirit. But no, the Holy Spirit, that's, that's a deep, sensitive issue. It's beautiful to believe in Jesus Christ. But look at verse 2, this question that Paul posed to the disciples. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Very interesting because the mafetes, these disciples, they're disciples but without the Holy Spirit. Is it possible to be a disciple without the Holy Spirit? Is it possible to believe in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit? Yes. Acts chapter 8 reveals that. Yes. Here in chapter, uh, chapter 19 reveals that. It is possible, possible to believe in Jesus Christ having no baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's completely possible. Why do I say it's completely possible? Number one, the Bible says it is. We, we, we see these indicators that it is, that that's the case. Not just indicators, but it just flat out says the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. Here you have Mathetes, disciples that don't have the Holy Spirit. And today, today, there are people who believe in Jesus Christ. They're disciples. And yet they don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Helper. You see? You, that's, that's when a walk with Jesus Christ is more religious. You know, like, how do I explain this? Do you ever see, like, a married couple? Do you ever see a married couple that, like, I don't know how to say this, like they're uh, more rigorous and dutiful in their relationship? You know, I, I don't call it, I mean, you could call it a relationship, but I don't see it as a relationship. It's kind of a messed up relationship, you know, not knocking, you know, marriage or anything. But you see, like, uh, it's more uh, rigid, like a rigid relationship where, you know, this is my role as a husband. Okay, wife here, you know, this is your role as the wife. And then you see the wife. Okay, this is my role as a wife. This is my role unto you. And they're just like little robots, you know. They're, they're, but, but then you see a, a married couple who love each other, you know. Like, it's different. I don't have words to explain it, but you get what I'm, you see it all the time. You see the, you know, the Robotniks, you know, and then you see the people who are like in love with like their best friend. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what I think about when I, when I think about believers today who don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's almost like their walk with the Lord is religious. Like, it's more rigid. There's more... It's more robotic. It's like, you know, like, okay. I don't know how to explain it. I don't have words. I, you know, English is my second language, you know. 
I, I say that from time to time, but you know, I say it facetiously. But it, it's, I, I just don't have words. My vocabulary isn't as high as the, some academics. But you can just see it. Like a husband and wife are, you know, robots. And then another couple walks in and they're like laughing. You know, they're with their best friend. Their relationship is like, oh, like a, a model relationship. But then you see the robotics, and that's what I'm talking about, a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, when you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the helper living inside of you. The helper, straight up. And I love how Paul, he goes into Ephesus <clears throat> and he makes sure. He goes back to the people, goes back to the churches, goes back to Christians. And even in his letters to the in his letters to all the various churches, the church in Corinth, uh, the church in even in his letter to the Ephesian church, Philippi. Always emphasis, hey, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Because it's a helper. He's the helper. The Holy Spirit. And then they, they, they answered him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? That's a hardcore question. Well, what were you baptized into? I mean, he's probing, getting information, extracting information from these disciples. What, what, what were you baptized into? They said, that, So they said, Into John's baptism. Remember the baptism of John? John the Baptist was water baptism. You know, you know, you see that in the early chapters of the uh, of the Gospels, John's baptism. It was water baptism, and that's what these disciples were baptized baptized into water baptism. In verse four, then Paul said, "John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance." He's not nullifying John's ministry. He's not nullifying the role that John had or, you know, the role of bapti water baptism unto repentance. It's, it's not to nullify it. It's to say, wait a second, there's, don't forget the Holy Spirit. You know, it's the water baptism unto repentance. That's from uh, um, uh, 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 Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Water baptism unto repentance, Matthew 3, verse 11. That's a little refresher course since we've studied uh, uh, Matthew already. Just like we studied on Wednesday in Leviticus 11, how you take something unclean and you just place it in the water. And then, you know, it comes out of the water and it's no longer unclean. But the same applies with you. The same applies with me. The same applies, you know, maybe I'm speaking to you and you already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, what I'm doing is I'm reaffirming your walk with him. And you have to, in your heart of hearts, ask yourself the question. Wait a second. Have I? Do I just have the baptism of of of, of, of 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 water baptism, the baptism of repentance? What about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? This was. I remember when I first became a believer. I was baptized in in the water water baptism, and then you know I, I started reading, and I was like, man, I don't know. Like you know, was I? I was kind of confused. I was like, was I baptized into repentance? Was I baptized? You know, and so I didn't know, so I got baptized twice. <laughs> I didn't know. So, you know, I was in one church, got baptized, and then I was reading and learning more, and then I understood more, but then I wasn't sure. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it again. So I did it again. So, you know, a little double whammy just to make sure. 
But now I'm telling you, you know, there's water baptism unto repentance, which is your burial. Your, where your water baptism is, that's your burial site. Straight up, that's your burial site. That's the old flesh dying. You go down in the grave and you're dead, dead to self. And then you come up out of the grave and you're alive in Christ. You're a new creation. It's like your water baptism. or your It is your water baptism, but it's like your water birth. You know, you, you see parents now, they have their water births. I don't know the process involved. I've only heard of it. But I meant like, it's like your water birth. It's your water death and your water birth alive in Christ. That's why we have to reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, and be alive in Christ. It's of utmost importance to understand these things. Because you know what? I don't want you to have religion. I don't want you to be a robot with your walk with the Lord. You know, as the bride of Christ, I'm part of the bride of Christ, and I'm a male. You're part of the bride of Christ. You might be male, you might be female, but you're still part of the bride of Christ. I've talked to guys before, and they say, you know, don't you think that's weird to refer to yourself as the bride of Christ? No, not at all. Not at all. I can't wait for the marriage as the bride of Christ. One body, many parts. You know, I don't have any qualms with it whatsoever. In fact, I look forward to it. I have no issue with it whatsoever. If you're a male, kind of on the uh, machismo end of the scale, you know, find humility. Seek humility. Because, you know, it's to say, hey, you know, macho's out the door. You got to get rid of that, you know, macho. It's out the door. And so, you know, they, like, what's the Holy Spirit? We, we haven't so much as heard of whether there is the Holy Spirit. You know, we were only baptized into John's baptism. And Paul, not nullifying the ministry of, of John the Baptist, says, John, indeed, baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him whom would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And it says in verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. You see? Boom. It's like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them. This is the same Holy Spirit. I mean, you think of how mighty the Lord is. I mean, just the words can't describe. He is the Almighty. There, the words can't describe it. And you think like, okay, you know, he's so powerful that, you know, he did this, he did that, he did this, he did that. But then you read the Bible. He says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. Whoa. That's the same Holy Spirit that can fall inside of you fall upon you that's the same holy spirit that fell upon these uh, disciples that's the same holy spirit that fell upon the believers in acts chapter 11 uh, chapter 8 except for one simon the helper the one who can help you in your walk with the lord jesus christ i mean if you get punched in the face Carnality would respond a certain way. That's what the carnal nature would. And you read the Bible, and it's like, whoa, okay, if you're a robot, if you're going to be a robotnik with Jesus Christ and be religious with Jesus Christ, which I don't advocate, I don't encourage, but if you're going to be a robot with Jesus Christ and be religious unto Him, remember, religion doesn't save. But if that's you today, 
and somebody punches you in the face, you know how hard it is going to be to turn the other cheek? Because in your heart of hearts, it's like somebody's going to punch you in the face and your carnal nature is going to just rise to the surface. And you're going to take a hit and then all of a sudden you're like, you're going to be so tempted. I'm going to punch back. I'm going to punch this guy so hard. And then what happens is, you know, he hits you with the left hand and you're like, you're fuming inside. What do I do? And then boom, he punches you with the right hand and you're like, oh, one more hit and this guy's toast. And then boom, the third hit and you lose your witness immediately. You start punching back, you start fighting and boom, your witness is toast. You lose your witness unto Jesus Christ. You see? That's the danger of being a robotnik with Jesus Christ. Being religious. You see it all the time. You know, it kinda, I kind of get sad sometimes when I see married people like that. They're robots with each other. I mean, they, they, you know, that's like they have their role as a husband. They have their role as a wife. But then you see them and it's just like, and they're, you know, I don't know. That's just me. But then you see another couple and it's like, wow, this is awesome. Because he's married to her best friend. He's married to his best friend and she's married to his her best friend. You know, and it's just like, wow, it's so cool. And the same thing applies with us with our walk with the Lord. A bride unto her husband, capital H, Jesus Christ. Don't be a robotnik with Jesus Christ. If what I just described is you, don't do that. There's another way. There's a better way. It's to fall in love with him and have a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the helper. And somebody's going to punch you in the face and you're not even thinking about, oh, I'm going to destroy this guy. Somebody's going to punch you in the face and you're going to turn the other cheek here. You know, because you have the helper inside of you, the comforter inside of you. I mean, put yourself in Stephen's shoes for a second. You know, they take him and it's like, well, he's not fighting back. You know, you put yourself in Stephen's shoes. It's like, man, the first stone that hit him. And, you know, it might have, like, hit him in the eye or something. Maybe he had to, like, curl over. I don't know. But I don't know how many stones it took for him to die. But when you read the account and you hear his prayer before the Lord, it's almost like he's looking for... It's almost like those stones are a form of comfort to him. Because he says, I look up and I see my Lord. He sees the Lord. It's like, wow, he welcomes the, the, the stones. Carnally speaking, you think like, wow, you know, why doesn't he, you know, get a, pick up a knife and, you know, go on the attack? No, I'm a strong advocate of going on the attack. But you know what? Our weapons of warfare are not carnal. When somebody punches you in the face, you turn the other cheek. Somebody that does you wrong, you have the helper. That's with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Which arguably today, I can make a strong case that a majority of the church today doesn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ. But I question their ability to endure the walk, endure the race. 
Because this life, you don't need me to tell you, this life has hardships. It's difficult. But I question the ability for somebody to endure the race. Especially that knowing in the last days, there's going to be a great falling away in the last days. People will, you know, turn their back to Jesus Christ. So this baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's very personal. And the Lord knows. Just like he knew with uh, Simon. He said, no, I'll, I'll, you know, the Holy Spirit, I'll go on this guy, this guy, this lady, this lady, this boy, this girl, this old guy, this old lady. You know, this crippled guy, this formerly crippled guy. But Simon, nope. You know why? His heart. His heart. And a lot of people today, they say, well, you know, it's, it's God. God does it. You know, God wills people to hell and God wills people to heaven. I don't believe that. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Everybody has a choice to make. And if you remember in chapter 8, I'm just looking at chapter 8, verse 21. When Simon, the one who the Holy Spirit skipped, he tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to purchase it from Brother Peter. And Peter says in verse 21 of chapter 8, he says, You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, a Calvinist, you know, uh, I'll say Reformed and some sects of the Presbyterianism, they'll say, you see, God made his heart that way. No, 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 no. They'll make the same argument, you know, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, it's true that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's true. But when you read, you know, you see, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and his heart got so hard to the point where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was a form of judgment. All these opportunities where a heart can get either soft or become hard, and by one's choices, by one's own you know, what, what stirs inside of their heart, their heart can, you know, whether or not the word is received and how it's received, just read Luke 8. You know, when a seed falls on a heart, that determines hardness of heart. But when God hardens a heart, it's a form of judgment. So in verse 21 of Acts 8, Peter says, your heart is not right in the sight of God. A Calvinist would put a period there and say, okay, God made his heart hard, so, you know, God is willing him to hell. No, don't forget that he, Simon believed. Look at verse 13. Simon himself believed. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. Except he didn't have the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 21, You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent. Repent, he says. You know, once saved, always saved. You know, what's the point of repentance if you're once saved, always saved? I'm not once saved, always saved. Because verse 13, Simon himself also believed. And Peter says, you have to repent. Once saved, always saved says, why do I have to repent? I'm right with God. You know, I made an altar call when I was 10 years old. And here I am, I'm 20, I'm 30, I'm a crackhead. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to crack. I'm addicted to whatever, alcohol. Why do I need to repent? Once saved, always saved. No. What do I say? Repent. 
What does Peter say? Repent. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. You see? Forgiveness for the thought of heart? Yes. I mean, how? I wonder how filthy, I have no disrespect to the Lord, it's His church. I wonder how filthy hearts and minds are in a church. I just wonder. You know, I, I'm male, so I can only speak for the males. You know, I have an idea of, you know, what females, what's going on in, you know, ladies. Which is probably wrong anyways, but <laughs> for the men, I wonder how many are dwelling about sexual things in their minds. I wonder how many are dwelling on, you know, whoever, you know, whatever lady. I wonder how many pastors are dwelling on sexual things. I wonder how many elders and deacons and bishops have their minds occupied with sexual things, which in itself is disobedient. You know why? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what's going on in your mind? You know, or what's going on in your mind? Is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? Is it virtuous? And is it praiseworthy? That's Philippians 4 verse 8. What's going on in the mind? What's going on in the thought of your heart? And somebody might say, oh yeah, I, I did an altar call. I believed in Jesus Christ when I was 10 years old. And you know, once saved, always saved. So I'm good to go. But in their mind, they're thinking about, you know, their next hit of crack. They're thinking about their next hit of meth. You know, their next, you know, when they start token away on their marijuana. They're thinking about sexual things. That alone is disobedience. Peter says, repent. Therefore of this your wickedness and pray God. It perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Remember, Simon was able to, he was with the church. He was, he, he believed, verse 13, he believed. He was able to be, I mean, Philip, Philip didn't, you know, Philip didn't wonder. Other Christians, you know, that the church was growing at this time. And he was able to blend in, Simon was able to blend in. But then a different Simon called him on it. Simon Peter. And he says, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. He says in verse 23, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. That's what bitterness can do inside of a heart. Bitterness. Don't let bitterness grow inside your heart. Let it die. Let it die. I know you think, oh, that uh, easier said than done. I know easier said than done. Which, you know, proof is in the pudding. You need the helper. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he will help you. 
You say, Lord, I can't kill this. Well, the Lord can. You need to allow him to. It's much different, you know. Just as you see a married couple, two robots, you know. They might hold hands. And you see two robots just, you know, holding hands. They're, they're programmed, you know. But then you see two, uh, two uh, people, husband, wife, they're holding hands. It's like, wow, this guy loves this girl. This girl loves this guy. And they're best friends. They laugh. They do all these things. And it's like, well, this is beautiful. That's what a relationship with Jesus Christ is. A love relationship with him. Not robots. Once saved, always saved. I don't believe that. I don't teach that. You know why? Because the Bible doesn't teach that. Once saved, always saved. <clears throat> if once saved, always saved were true, why would, why would the Bible prophesy of a great falling away, the great apostasy? If once saved, always saved were true. Why would the Holy Spirit put it on Paul's heart to write to the church in Thessalonica about the falling away? Why? If one saved, always saved were true. Why? Since Paul says that the great falling away is a, a biblical event in the last days, a prophesied event inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, Paul, write this down. Paul says, okay, and he started to write it down. What does that say about one saved, always saved? You have to let it go. You have to yield to the word of God. The same way I did. I used to believe all kinds of different things. You know why? Because people told me. I was a Berean. I would just listen. This guy says this, so okay. So it must be true. He's a pastor, you know. So it must be true. But no, as I started to grow and mature... I started to realize, well, there's a lot of pastors out there that don't know what in the world they're talking about. There's a lot of pastors out there that are just like Simon, no Holy Spirit. There's a lot of pastors out there that are hirelings. You see, just like the Bible teaches us. And this isn't a knock on pastors. I guess it is kind of a knock on pastors. But you know what? You, we're each individual Christians. I have a choice to make for my soul. You have a choice to make for your soul. Oh, but once saved, always saved. I heard this from, you know, this famous teacher. I heard it from this. Okay. If once saved, always saved were true. What's the great falling away? How do you explain that? Oh, those are people who thought they were Christians, but they were not really Christians. Well, wait a second. Why is it falling away then? I hear the argument all the time. But it doesn't hold water with the truth of God's holy word. You need the Holy Spirit the same way I need the Holy Spirit. The church today needs the Holy Spirit. Because there's no power. That's the power source. It's like a flashlight without batteries. Flashlight in the daytime, you don't need it. A flashlight in the nighttime, you don't need it because, you know, you might have a light switch and you just flip on the light switch. You're watching TV, sitting on the couch. It's, you know, 8 o'clock at night, you know, maybe 10 o'clock at night, maybe 11 o'clock at night. 
And the TV's on, you know, and the light's on, but then what the power goes out. What happens when the power goes out? Then it's really going to be revealed that you don't have batteries in your flashlight. I'll put it to you in a spiritual sense. In the last days when darkness befalls the earth, when darkness befalls our culture, and it's already happening, you don't need me to tell you this. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Incrementally worse and worse and worse. And in the last days when darkness befalls our land. And it's starting already. It started a while ago. It will soon be revealed who doesn't have batteries or who doesn't have oil in their lamps. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It will soon be revealed who the virgins are. And as we progress further and further and further into the last days, it will also reveal who the foolish virgins are and who the wise ones are. That's the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, going, going back to Acts 19 now. Acts 19, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. You see how awesome this is, what's happening here? There is now evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say evidence of the Holy Spirit, tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit. But not what a lot of charismatic and Pentecostals believe. Tongues is definitely evidence of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've spoken. I haven't spoken in tongues. I almost did, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain it. I was so afraid of tongues. I've seen all the abuse. I mean, you see people speak in tongues, and there's just a lot of abuse. It's like, that's not a language. And plus, you know, you see people, they speak in tongues, and then you pause and you wait, and there's no interpreter. Paul says there has to be interpretation. Otherwise, don't speak in tongues because people are going to come into your church, and they're going to think you're crazy. And that's what happened to me. I went to a church. Everybody's talking in tongues. It's like, well, where's their interpretation? Where is it? And there was one time when I almost spoke in tongues and this word came to my heart. And I thought, man, that's a weird word. It's not English. I don't know what it is. And I was afraid. And so I Googled it. <laughs> I Googled the word as, you know, the... I'm Latino. Latino cultures have a a, a lot of uh, Latin-centric words. So like the vowel usage, you know, this word came in my heart. So I was like, okay, I think it's spelled like this. I typed it out in Google and it was a praise word. I was like, whoa, it blew me away because I was like, whoa. Like it's not gibberish. It's not like the, the fake stuff I've seen on TV, the fake stuff I've seen in, you know, certain Pentecostal churches or charismatic not that I'm knocking the charismatic. There is uh, a charismata in, in the Bible. You know, it's the, the, the church, the, the, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. There is charismata, but there, you know, when you get into charismania, like the craziness, the uh, Pensacola, you know, that's crazy. People say, oh, yes, the, the, the laughing. They say the Holy Spirit is fell on me. They start laughing. They start rolling around the floor. That's crazy. 
You know, certain churches, they do the grave soaking. They say, yeah, the Holy soak in the spirit of this dead guy. The Holy Spirit was strong in this guy. He's not dead. So lay on the grave. That's unbiblical. That's demonic. And you have major, major pastors, major, major ministries that advocate these things. Oh, yeah, we're going to go grave soaking today, guys. Crazy. False teachers. False teachers. But tongues is definitely evidence of the Holy Spirit. But there's more. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse. Verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. The same church that, you know, in our study in, in, in uh, Acts 19, Apollos happens to be there right now. So here in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12, says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. You see a picture of unity. Now, I have to say something about church unity. Church unity is in accordance with the truth of God's holy word. I mean, you know, like, for example, like an Episcopal church who with a, 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 a homosexual pastor or a lesbian pastor, I'm not going to have unity with that church. You know why? Because I'm a Christian and I fear God. I love the Lord. I fear him. And I read what the Bible says. You know, I don't consider that a biblical model of a Christian church. Why? Because the makeup of it is all wrong. The inner workings is all wrong. I mean, you open up the hood of a car, you know, and if everything's put in place, you can look at it and say, okay, this is going to start. This thing is going to run like a beauty. You know, oil's in its proper place. You know, the gas tank in the back, everything's in its proper place. The pipes, the, the tubes, everything. Everything's in proper order. You close the hood, start her up, and boom, ready to rock and roll. But then what happens if you open the hood and it's like, wow, what? the alternator, you know, here it's duct taped to the hood, the top of the hood. You know, here you got this wire that's just hanging out the side. You know, oh, what's this? There's some fuel leaking out here. This tube and, you know, the, the brake fluid. It's This is over here. Your voltage regulator's over here. Then you know, you don't even have to wonder, oh, this car's not going to, I mean, you just know this car is not going to start. Yeah, you got a car, but you open the hood. What's under the hood? Who put it together? You close the hood, you turn the key, you sit in the passenger seat, you turn the key, nothing happens. You don't even have to wonder. But the same thing applies to churches. You see a cross on the door. You see Christian church on the sign. You think, okay, good to go. That's looking at the car. Going inside and sitting in the pews. That's walking to the hood. The person comes out, starts to speak. That's opening the hood. And then you listen. Wow, their doctrine's all wrong. They're teaching a social gospel. That's biblically inaccurate. You know what that reveals to you? There's no power. 
Yeah, they got a building. Yeah, they have people. Yeah, you know, they have a choir group. They even have a pastor. Well, you know, so-called pastor, I say. But there's zero power. And, you know, that... I don't advocate going to a church like that. I advocate going to a church where there's sound doctrine, the truth of God's holy word, even if it hurts. And then there's the Holy Spirit. Power. Your flesh isn't going to like it. But your spirit's going to love it. Because you're being equipped. You're being equipped. So like when we read here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, 5, and 6, you see, you know, diversity of, of, of diversities of gifts with the same spirit, differences of ministries, but the same Lord it says diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. You know, my little disclaimer to that is make sure there's sound doctrine. It's not to say that, hey, I can be one with the, you know, a partner with uh, 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 the Episcopal church as a pastor, pastor of the way. I can't say, okay, we're going to partner with the Episcopals. I've been invited. You know, pastors have contacted me, contacted me before. I say, oh, yeah, we're doing this ministry. You know, do you want to be a speaker? Do you want to do this? And, you know, you can invite your church, do all these things. We're going to have all these activities, bring this over here. And it's like, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. It's like, whoa, how come? Why? What's the problem? Well, I have a job to do, okay? I have a job. You have to understand I have a role to play in fellowship with the saints, but I also have a job to do. And what's the job? It's to feed the sheep, feed the lambs, and also protect them. You have to understand. It's not that I want to be a jerk and tell another pastor, sorry, no, you know, go fly a kite. I didn't say that. But it's not like I want to be a jerk and say, you know, the door is closed. No way. But what happens if an Episcopal pastor contacts me and says, oh, yeah, we hear you have a church, you know, welcome to the vicinity. You know, do you want to be, you know, come and partake in our, you know, ladies ministry or do you want to do our men's ministry and come? It's like, I'm all about fellowship of the saints, but I'm not going to take God's lambs, God's sheep and then subject them to wolves. I'm not going to subject them to hirelings because I would be disobedient. You have to understand, we read these passages and people say, okay, see, church unity, we're all going to be one. That's part of the last day's ecumenical movement. The last day's ecumenical movement where Protestantism is, you know, expanding and growing and being more accepting of other faiths, faiths that are non-conducive to the word of God. So that's the reason why, you know, when these pastors contact me, you know, oh yeah, we're with the, you know, Episcopal this, we're with the Ecclesiastical whatever, we're with the Lutherans, we're with the Methodists. Do you want to do this? No thanks. No thank you. Because I don't want my sheep and lambs to be subject to wolves. And they're not even my sheep and lambs. They belong to Jesus Christ. They're His. The Good Shepherd. I'm just a sheep dog. You know? But, you know, I'll, I'll hang out with lambs, I'll hang out with sheep, but if I have to attack wolves, I'll attack wolves, spiritually speaking. So we have to understand these things. A lot of times people say, you see, there's supposed to be church unity. Yes, there's supposed to be church unity. 
But also, you know, they're supposed to be in Acts, uh, Romans 16, verse 17. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. You see? So yeah, there's church unity, but there has to be church unity with sound doctrine. That's where the unity is. If there's no sound doctrine, then I'm sorry. Biblically, there can't be church unity. Remember, the Lord didn't come to bring peace. He came to divide. That's the purpose the Lord came, you know, to divide. Among other things, there's, you know, it's multifaceted. So let's continue here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. It's Remember, it's not like, you know, for you, you have the gift of the, the Holy Spirit. It's not like for you, like, uh, it's for you, but it's also for others. It's given to each one for the profit of all, for the advantage, for the benefit of all. That's what he says in verse 7. But he also says the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, rigid uh, uh, Pentecostalism or rigid uh, 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 charismatic movements, they'll say the evidence of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. What does the Bible say? That's one of them. One of many. It's not the only. A lot of times people say, if you have the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. It's evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. But there's one. There's, there's more. Let's look at verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom. You see? That's one right there. The word of wisdom, wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues you see for these people to say evidence of the holy spirit is you speaking in tongues that's wrong it's one of them but if somebody doesn't speak in tongues that's not to say they don't have the holy spirit because they might have the word of wisdom they might have the word of knowledge they might have faith. They might have gifts of healing. They might have the working of miracles. They might have prophecy. They might have the discernment of spirits. They might be able to interpret tongues. Remember verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. In chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about the greatest gift, which is love. The greatest gift. Love. I mean, have you ever seen people who say, oh yeah, if you have the Holy Spirit, you know, you'll speak in tongues. It is evidence that you have the Holy Spirit, but then they're jerks. No love. I mean, somebody says, you know, I speak in tongues and you don't speak in tongues, so therefore you don't have the Holy Spirit. But then, you know, they don't discern the spirits. And then what happens? They succumb to Satan and his demons. You see the... the one body with many parts. Verse 11 says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. And love is the greatest gift. 
And I'll say, in addition to what we're looking at here, the gifts have fruit. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 really quick. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's also the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Gifts reap fruit. Look at verse 22 of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering. Have you seen people? It's like, oh, you, you know, if you're if you have the Holy Spirit, you're gonna speak in tongues, but then they're jerks, they're mean-spirited, they're very, very Im- impulsive and impatient. Because why? They have no long suffering, no joy, no peace, no love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Just like we studied on, on Wednesday. Remember, the law is not made for a righteous person. It says a lot about these uh, uh, um, uh, uh, fruit of the Spirit. He says in verse 24, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's water baptism. Baptism under repentance. Remember, the water is your gravesite. Crucified the flesh. And you come up out of the water, you're alive in Christ, a new creation. In verse 25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see? Let's go back to Acts 19 now. Acts 19. Because in verse 6, it says, When Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And a lot of Christians get really down and out because they say, Wow, you know what? I've never spoken in tongues before. So does that mean I don't have the Holy Spirit? No way. It doesn't mean that at all. Oh, but this guy told me that. Where is he now? Where is he now? What's his witness? If he has a witness. Oh, but this other guy told me this. Okay, that's fine. What does the Bible say? The the Bible is our ultimate authority. We are the ones who must yield to the word of God. And so if somebody teaches, you know, oh yeah, if you have the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. And period. There's no, they don't mention the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. They don't mention the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, that person either doesn't know the Bible and shouldn't be a pastor. Or that person isn't yielding to the Bible, which shouldn't be a pastor. See, people tell me, oh, you shouldn't talk that way about pastors. Why not? Why not? Paul did. Peter did. Why? It's not that I, you know, want to be a jerk or anything. I'm not trying to be a jerk. But I have sheep to feed. I have lambs to feed and to protect. And so let's continue here. In verse 7, now the men were about 12 in all. That's a lot of, I mean, imagine 12 people who believed in Jesus Christ. They were disciples, but no Holy Spirit. You know how dangerous that is? How dangerous it was for them? It's their robotics with Jesus Christ. Religious with Jesus Christ. You know how dangerous it is for Christians today to be religious with Jesus Christ and robots with Jesus Christ? You know how dangerous that is? It might be fine in the daytime. 
It might be fine in the daytime when you don't need a flashlight. It might be fine even at nighttime when you have, you know, your own power source. But what happens when that power source fails? When you get tired. Remember, Matthew 24, unless those days were shortened, no soul would be saved. No man would be saved, even the elect. Even the elect. That's how dark the days are going to get. No soul would be saved unless those days were shortened. It's going to get dark. You think it's dark now. You think it's bad now. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And you can see it with your own eyes. It's palpable in the air how love is waxing cold. Love is waxing cold. Me personally, I have to wonder, Lord, is your spirit lifting? Is your spirit, as the Bible says, is your spirit lifting from the earth? Because there's wanton disregard for other people. It's like wanton wickedness, lawlessness. It's like pride in lawlessness. The days are evil. And it's going to get worse. And this world leader who, who, who emerges on the world stage advocating peace, it's a false peace. Quite possibly the Antichrist. We're not going to know for sure until the middle of the final seven years. You say, oh, we're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. Maybe I'll do a little topical study one day about the rapture of the church. And we'll look at scripture verses in Hebrew and Greek. And I'll explain my, you know, the reasoning behind. I, I, I don't adhere to a pre-tribulation rapture. I, I don't adhere to that. I used to, but no longer. The days are going to get darker and darker and darker. And you think about these 12 guys, disciples. They didn't have the Holy Spirit before. How dangerous it was. And how dangerous it is today. To not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The helper. The means by which we're able to not only hold on to Christ, but grasp onto Him and endure and run our races. If that's you, if, if I'm describing, if, if any of my words right now about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if they're not resonating, if, if, if they are resonating with you, like, oh man, am I religious? Am I a robot with Jesus Christ? You need to pray. Not repentance. You know, I mean, that's already, I, I, if, you have, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then you need to repent and, and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. But then you have to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pray. And your heart, you have to have obedience in your heart. You can say, oh yeah, I never murdered somebody. You know, I'm not a sex addict. I'm not a crackhead. You know, I don't do this. I don't do that. You know, that's fine and dandy. But what about what's going on in your heart? Do you think about the crack? Do you think about the sex? Do you think about the alcohol? Do you think about your old party life? Do you think about your old boyfriend, your old girlfriend? Well, if the answer is yes... And that's disobedient in your heart. 
disobedience in your heart. And for that, you need to repent. That kind of Sometimes I tell it to people and it blows them away. You mean I have to repent for the things I think about? Yes, you do. If the work of your hands and the steps of your feet don't align with the Word of God, you need to repent. And then even deeper than that, if the thoughts of your heart, if you don't bring every thought into the captivity of Jesus Christ, in captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ, and what the thoughts of your heart are not true, are not noble, are not just, are not pure, are not lovely, are not of good report, are not virtuous, are not praiseworthy, then you need to repent. You see? And pray, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit. And you know, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. That's where it's something different. It's night and day. You say, I don't get it. What do you mean night and day? Well, look at, uh, you know, a robotic husband and wife. And then look at, you know, turn your head, look at the other husband and wife. And what do you see? Wow, these people actually like each other. <laughs> you see? Look at verse 8 here. And he went into the synagogue. Remember, that was Paul's custom to go into the synagogue. And I love that. He goes straight up into the hornet's nest. And he, he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading. Reasoning is to dispute, uh, 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 to dispute, to disagree, and to argue. To dispute, to disagree, and to argue. And then persuade is to convince. And that's what he'd go. He'd go into the synagogue. He would reason and persuade from the scriptures. Remember, we saw that in the previous chapters. He would do that from the scriptures. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And it says here, concerning the things of the kingdom of God. I have to tell you, many people don't like doing this. They don't like this aspect of our walk with God. But yet, we're supposed to. We're supposed to reason with people. We're supposed to persuade people. It's part of being a fisherman and not making converts. Making disciples. And when you do make disciples, you know what you also do? Don't forget to tell them about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Many people don't like this aspect of our walk with the Lord. If we turn really quick to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. <clears throat> A little refresher course because we studied this. But in Matthew 7, verse 4, red letters. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye. And look, a plank is in your own eye. And Jesus says in verse 5, hypocrite, exclamation point, exclamation point. Hypocrite. And a lot of people, what they do when they see verse 1, judge not that you not be judged. That you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. A lot of people say, okay, don't judge. Don't judge. But the Lord is saying something diff completely different from that. He's not saying don't judge. He says, hypocrite in verse 5. He says, first, first. Remove the plank from your own eye. 
Remember, he says hypocrite exclamation point. In other words, he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. Remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In John 7, 24, there is such a thing as righteous judgment. What we're supposed to do, what Christians are supposed to do, righteous judgment. Not judge not lest you be judged. It's to say, don't be a hypocrite and then start judging. That's not good to do because you have a big two by four in your eye. A big old plank in your face. And the Lord is saying, don't do that. How many times do you hear people talk against a critical spirit? Oh, that brother just has a critical spirit. Ignore him. Oh, that sister just has a critical spirit. Ignore her. Criticos in the Greek. Criticos. We're supposed to have a critical spirit. It's part of discernment. You hear people say, judge not lest you be judged. Does that mean I'm not supposed to judge? Does that mean you're not supposed to judge? No. It's to say, you know, go ahead and judge, but don't be a hypocrite. And the measure that you use, it's going to be given to you. So use it wisely. Don't be a hypocrite. Hypocrisy is a huge, huge danger in the church. It's a huge, it, it limits a pastor's ability to grow, correct the church. I shouldn't even say a pastor. It limits a Christian's ability to correct another brother or sister in the Lord because of hypocrisy. I mean, if I'm a crackhead, number one, I can't be a pastor. But if I'm a crackhead and then all of a sudden, you know, I start trying to correct another crackhead, I'm a hypocrite. Number one, I shouldn't be a pastor. But number two, I, I am biblically enabled to correct him. Biblically. In fact, I'm warned not to. But if I'm a former crackhead and I talk to a crackhead who's also a former crackhead who starts doing crack again, then I can go to that brother. Hey, brother, cut it out. What are you doing? That's not good. You've tasted of that fruit before, that nasty fruit before. Why are you doing that? You've tasted of Jesus Christ. Come back to Jesus Christ. And that person say, oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. No, I'm responsible. I'm supposed to be criticos. I'm supposed to be, oh, that guy just has a critical spirit. No, you're supposed to have a critical spirit without hypocrisy. You're not a hypocrite? Praise be to the Lord. Now you can use these weapons, which are what? Have a critical spirit, biblically, and correct. Judge. Not crino. Anacrino, diacrino, judge, and tell another brother, hey, cut it out with this sexual stuff. Hey, cut it out with this crack. Hey, cut it out with this meth. Cut it out with this marijuana. Oh, but it's legal now. I can do my marijuana. I don't care. Oh, God created this plan, so therefore he wants me to have it. God created women too. It's kind of stupid logic. I don't even call it logic. It's stupid thinking. Look at God created the uh, uh, coca leaves. Are we going to uh, do lines now? You know, uh, ayahuasca, natural. God created it. Are we going to go out on our trips now? No. Demonic. That's demonic activity. Messing with the ayahuasca, doing the cocaine. 
now cities and states, they want to legalize LSD now. They want to legalize magic mushrooms. Oh, it's natural. God created the, the God created it. It's mushrooms. So yeah, let's do, you know let's do it. That's such stupid thinking of the last day's generation. You see, craziness. But no, who is the one with a critical spirit? People say, oh, critical spirit is bad. I don't like a critical spirit. You're biblically responsible to have a critical spirit, to not be a hypocrite. And when you're not a hypocrite, you're supposed to employ criticos, the tools of a critical spirit to say, hey, brother, I'm going to correct you. Why? Not because I want to be a jerk, not because I want to hurt you, but because I love you, brother. But because I love you, sister. And I want you to abide in Christ you see how backwards things are? It's the last days. It's one of the indicators of the last days. Remember, before judgment comes on the world, judgment comes first in the house of God. Never forget that. And the Lord is cleaning house. Straight up cleaning house. So let's go back to Acts 19. In Acts 19, when, you know, Paul goes into the church, you know, or into the synagogue, you know, it was his custom and he's reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. That's from verse eight. And that's what, you know, a lot of people don't like that in Christian circles. Maybe even you. Maybe you don't like to reason and dispute and discuss and even argue, not argue like in a mean sense. But somebody might come up with a point in the Bible and say, hey, the Bible says this. You say, okay, yeah, you're right. It does say that. But you know what? Keep reading. Keep reading. Because it is also written. And then what are you doing? You're also persuading. Convincing somebody to deny their ways and yield to the word of God. And I don't want to reduce... The Bible to a sales pitch. I don't, I, I'm not trying to say, hey, you have to be a salesman. No, because, you know, salvation is the power of, it, 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 the gospel is the power of God into salvation because it's a matter of their heart. They're going to decide for themselves. Wow, this person, this guy, this girl, she, she's giving me truth. He's giving me truth. Do I accept it or do I reject it? Do I love this guy as a brother? Do I love this girl as a sister? Or do I hate this guy? Do I hate this girl? They have their own choices to make. But what I'm saying is don't put down your weapons. Employ these weapons. Use these weapons. Even more so in the last days. In verse 9. But when some were hardened... You see, this is the, their calloused hearts. When some were hardened, just like we read in uh, uh, Acts 8, how Simon, his heart was hard. It says, when, when some of them were hardened and did not believe. That's, the, uh, that, what, that's what truth does inside of a heart. It either hardens or it softens. That's, that's out of your hands, my friend. When you are a messenger of truth, you know, it, it, what's in your heart which is the word of God. If it's not the word of God, then you don't teach truth. Don't teach the Bible if the Bible's not in you. The Bible has to be in you first. 
The Word of God, full counsel, Genesis to Revelation, has to be in you first. If the Word of God is not in you, don't teach. Don't teach. It's dangerous for you to teach. Very, very dangerous for you to teach. Because it's like, it's like going like into hardcore combat without any weapons, without any armor, without any backup. It's very dangerous. So you have the Word of God in you. And then you're a messenger of truth. Once the word comes out of your heart, it makes its way up your throat, makes its way up, you know, through your vocal cords and your tongue, and it comes out of your mouth. Your job is done. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't say your job is done because you can pray too. But as much as depends on you, for the most part, you pray and you teach, your job is done. What happens now when the word comes off of your tongue, it leaves your mouth, and then it goes into little tiny ear holes. It goes into ear holes, it goes into a person's mind, it goes into their heart, and that's between them and the Lord. They might hate you. They might want to kill you. They might want to chop off your head. But you know what? Another person might fall in love with you and say, wow, I've gained a brother. Wow, I've gained a sister. Man, I love my brother. I love my sister. Because I was on my way to hell and now I'm on my way to heaven. Because this guy, this girl told me truth, did not withhold truth from me. You see? Verse 9 says, but when some were hardened and did not believe. This translate did not believe. It translates as willful disbelief. Willful disbelief. Calvinist, Reformed theology people, theory people. You know, some uh, Presbyterian. They'll say God makes you believe, but that's not in the Bible. Remember, Paul is reasoning and persuading He's not making, he's not putting a gun to somebody's head and saying, hey, you will believe. People say, oh, you know, God made Paul a Christian. Did he really? Go back and listen to our study at the Damascus Road. Go back and listen to it. Jesus Christ gave Paul a proposition referring to him as an ox. Remember, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He didn't make God, make Paul a Christian. He presented him a choice, the same choice that's presented to you right now. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? See? If the answer is yes, you know, hit pause. Hit pause. If you're listening to my voice right now and you're like, wow, I do believe, hit pause and, you know, go back and listen to the uh, message about receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Okay? And then come back and listen. So verse 9 says, when, but, when some were, uh, uh, but when some were hardened and did not believe, willful disbelief, but spoke evil of the way. Me personally, this is a little personal message. You know, spoke evil of the way. Th- this verse right here comforts me. You know, when people you know, talk smack about the way, the way Christian fellowship, our church, the church that the Lord named, and the Lord called me to teach and pastor, This verse right here gives me a lot of comfort. 
people spoke evil of the way. I'm like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm not in bad company. People spoke evil of the way. Before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples or severed the disciples. It translates as to sever the disciples. And you see this? It's like such care for the sheep, such care for the lambs and these new believers who had, you know, he'd been reasoning and persuading. And they say, wow, you know what, Paul? I believe, I believe what you're talking about. I believe Jesus Christ. Remember in our study in Leviticus, how I would make mention of teachers and elders and uh, 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 pastors as being like butchers? That's what we see here, especially when he says withdrew the disciples because it's a straight up act of like butchering, severing. It happens spiritually inside of a heart when somebody has to decipher between spirit and carnal. And depending on the condition of their heart, they might hate you, they might love you. And I love Paul's love for the church, the early believers, because now he's focusing on the disciples. He withdrew the disciples. He says, okay, disciples, you know, these people are speaking evil of the way. Let's stay, let's let's be clear of these people. You guys are young believers. They're dangerous for you. I mean, think of like a, a two-year-old child. And there's a wolf within 10 feet. What are you going to do? With a two-year-old child, five-year-old child, and there's a wolf 10 feet away. What are you going to do? Are you just going to pretend like there's no big deal? You know, the, are, are you going to pretend that, you know, hey, no big deal, there's a wolf here, no big deal? Or will you kill the wolf, spiritually speaking? Or will you withdraw? You know, say you have like 10 two-year-olds. You know, or 10, eight-year-olds. And there's a wolf in the midst, 10 feet away, waiting for whom he may devour. And it, what are you going to do? Are you going to take those 10 kids and say, no, let's go. Let's withdraw. Let's go over here. It's not safe right now. It's not safe to stay here right now because of these wolves. There's harm nearby. And I want to protect you from this harm. That's what I love so much about Paul. This is a church that he wanted to kill when he was Saul. A church that he wanted to arrest and have taken away in chains, that he did have taken away in chains for some of them. But then there was the Damascus Road. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's what Jesus Christ said to Saul. And then all of a sudden Saul accepted, believe in Jesus Christ, and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Proposition by Jesus Christ to say, hey, make a choice. You're the ox. You're the ox, Paul. Make a choice. And when you kick against the goats, you know what happens in accordance with the law? Kill the ox. In accordance with the law. Remember, Jesus Christ asked this question to a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a hardcore Pharisee, well-versed in the law. He knew the law. And Jesus Christ says, is it hard for you to kick against the goats? And in the law, the penalty for that ox is to kill the ox. There's also a penalty for the owner of the ox. And Jesus Christ is saying, hey, Paul, do you want to die? Hey, Paul, who's your master? And Paul called him Lord. The next line, Paul called him Lord. 
He made his choice. You're my master, Lord. It's just so beautiful what the Lord can do with anybody. Anybody. And there's this crazy doctrine going out, you know, like, you know, God makes you a Christian. God predestines you to hell. God predestines you to heaven. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. I mean, say if you're like into hardcore sin, crazy sin, and you just ask somebody, you, you, you get somebody who you think is a Christian, somebody who's like, okay, yeah, this guy goes to church. And say you, the, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Remember the ministry of the Holy Spirit goes into the world to convict the world of sin and other things, of judgment and of righteousness. But say you're in hardcore sin and the Holy Spirit is convicting you. And you go to a pastor of a church. You go to another Christian in the church. You go to a ministry leader. Or you go to a, a pew Christian in the church. And you say, you know what? I don't know what it is, but I feel this conviction. Yeah, I partied last night. Yeah, I did this sexual stuff. I did some lines last night. But I feel so dirty. I feel this conviction. And then the guy tells you, well, what if you're predestined for hell? How could you say that to somebody? How could you say that to somebody? I mean, if you're a hardcore Calvinist, if you're into Reformed theology, and I mean like the, the actual Reformed theology, how could you tell that to somebody? Maybe God predestined you to hell. Or you talk to somebody who was raped. You talk to a 30-year-old guy who's been molested in the church. You say, well, you know, God willed that to happen. What? God predestined that to happen. God wanted that to happen. How could you tell that to somebody? That's not the truth of God's holy word. People fall victim. People fall victim. In a fallen world, people fall victim of the fallen and God hates it. He is long-suffering. If you're listening to my voice right now and you a victim of the church. You were molested in the church. You were molested by a pastor, a youth leader. That's not a youth leader. That's not a pastor. That's not an elder. You're a victim of a wolf. And justice will come upon that person in this life and or definitely in the life to come. Definitely in the life to come. I wish, you know, I've spoken with these people before. People who want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. You ask them why and because this. And they open up. Because of this. 
crazy what goes on. And if that's you, if you're listening to my voice right now and that's you, God loves you. He did not predestine by his will for you know this harm, this molestation to happen to you. You're a victim of a fallen man. You're a victim of a fallen woman. God loves you. Believe in Jesus Christ. Take your hate and place it upon the fallen man. Place it upon the fallen woman. Do not place it on Jesus Christ. He loves you. He loves you. It kills me so much because, you know, you see Paul's care for the church, care for these disciples to say, hey, it's too dangerous for you over here, guys. You guys are speaking evil of the way. Not only that, I, by experience, I've seen what, what happened. They beat me in this other town. They beat me. They thought I was dead. They left me for dead. And that's me. I don't, I don't want this to come upon you. So you know what? Let's withdraw. Let's get out of here. Let's go to this other place where it's safe. Let's go on this other side of town where it's safe for us. You see Paul as a shepherd. A former wolf himself. And you see him as a shepherd. You see how oh, I'm so in love with him. In verse 9, it says, He departed from them and withdrew the disciples' reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. You see, that's what Paul is doing. He's reasoning and persuading. And he's making disciples. He's a fisherman, a wise, wise, wise fisherman. You know, in, in in the book of Acts, you see, like when he withdrew the disciples, you see in the book of Acts, the message is for the multitude. The message is for all kinds of different people. He would go in the synagogue and he would teach. He would go like in, uh, in Athens and teach for the multitude. But of the multitude, the message became smaller because it was for the Christian. So in the book of Acts, you see like a, a large net. When you get done with the book of Acts, you see Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. That's a smaller net. It's for the Christian. Keep that in mind. You know, in Acts, you see the message for many, but in the epistles, you see the messages for fewer. Focus on the disciples. If you're a teacher, you're going to have maybe multitudes of people. And you teach, you, you speak. But then of those multitudes, some are going to come to you. Hey, tell me more. Tell me more about this Jesus. Tell me more. I'm with Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. Tell me more about how to abide in him. Teach me more. Focus on disciples. And when you focus on disciples, you know what? Don't forget to tell them about the Holy Spirit. Because you don't want disciples to be like the 12 guys in verse 7. You don't want them to be like <clears throat> disciples without the Holy Spirit. Because that's religion. You don't want these people to have lamps with no oil. You want them to have lamps with huge buckets full of oil. That's what you want. If you don't want that, pray. Because that's the heart of the Lord. Oil for their lamps. Oil for their homes. 
Remember, there's darkness in Egypt, but there was light in Goshen. In our study in the book of Exodus, light in Goshen. That's what you want when things get darker and darker and darker and darker. Not just when things are dark. But in the day, there's no need for uh, 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 lamps. I'm talking about when the days become evil, which the days, like, you see it. It's palpable. The days are evil. It's very, very palpable. So let's continue and look at verse uh, verse 10. Let's continue. And this continued for two years. So, you know, you see all these times, like in, in verse 8, it says that he was there for three months. In verse 10, you know, it continued for three years. So you're starting to see, like, you know, longevity, you know, the time periods that were spent in certain areas near Corinth, in Ephesus. Look what happens here. This continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia, this is the province of Asia, which is a, 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 an area of the uh, Roman province of Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, I adhere to the thought that included in this group of people in Ephesus was a fellow by the name of Epaphras. Uh, you're going to see Epaphras mentioned in Colossians. You see Colossians 1, 7, and then also in Colossians 4, you see Epaphras. I'm of the opinion, uh, and I can make a strong case for it, that Epaphras was here, and then Epaphras went and started the church, the Colossian church. You know, just read the book of Colossians. You'll see, focus in on uh, chapter 1, and then chapter 4, you'll see uh, Epaphras mentioned. I wonder, you know, when, when we're at the marriage supper, I'm going to, you know, shout as loud as I can. Who knows where Epaphras is? Where's Epaphras? <laughs> and then when he raises his hand, you know, who are you? You know, Epaphras, I got to ask you something. You know, were you were you in Ephesus when Paul was teaching? You know, when he was like at the school of Tyrannus, were you there? Because I had a hunch in my earth suit. I had a hunch, and now that I'm in my glorified body, you know, what's the scoop? It's so cool, but I, you know, I can make a strong case for it. But I just think it's cool just to see you see the manifold grace of God, the manifold ministries of God. How Paul, how the Lord uses Paul. How the Lord uses Peter, how he uses Lydia, how he uses Aquila and Priscilla, how he uses Epaphras, how he uses little Timothy, Lois, Eunice, Lydia. I think I already mentioned Lydia, but I love her so much I want to mention her again. He uses all these people, Philip, Stephen, the manifold grace of God, the manifold ministries of God in accordance with sound doctrine. Wow, so beautiful. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> In, uh, now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Remember, God is doing the work. It's not the handkerchief that's holy. You know, he's doing the miracles that are done by the hands of Paul, but God is doing it. You know, it's not by the will of man, as seen on TV. What you see sometimes, you turn on Christian, uh, uh, Christian TV, and you see somebody, you know, they're waving a handkerchief. They're trying to reenact what's happening here in, in, in verse 12. They, you know, somebody's sick, they bring them up on the stage, they lay a handkerchief on their head, and you see convulsions start to happen. It's a mockery. They're making a mockery of the things of the Lord. 
God is the one who's doing the work here. It's not by will of man. It's not for a guy to say, wow, look how holy I am. I'm going to throw my handkerchief on this person and cast out demons. No, that's... They make a mockery. But yet it did happen. Unusual miracles that God worked by the hands of Paul. Even his handkerchiefs and aprons, where they, they took it from his body. So he had a little hanky. And they take it from his body. They put it the, the sick. And then the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. And so look what happens here. You see there's an audience. They're like, whoa, what is happening here? And look what happens here in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, translates as the wandering Jewish exorcists, took it upon themselves. So it's like they got this idea. They took it upon themselves. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I took it upon myself to make breakfast. I wanted to serve. It was my dad's birthday. It might have been Father's Day. I forget. But I wanted to give my dad breakfast in bed. So I took it upon myself to prepare him breakfast. It was inedible. He couldn't eat it. It was the nastiest thing. It was unhealthy for him to eat. Uncooked bacon, you know, big old globs of butter. Everything was uncooked, spilled all. It was unhealthy for him to eat. Eggs that weren't cooked. You know, I was like, here, Pops, you know, here's breakfast in bed. Happy birthday. So I took it upon myself, but I didn't have the skill to be able to do what I wanted to do, what I desired to do for the benefit of my dad. I didn't have that. But that's what you have here. They took it upon themselves, these itinerant Jewish exorcists. That's why I say, you know, a couple of verses above, I made the mention. It was like, look, if the word of God is not in you, don't teach. If the word of God is not in you, don't go into ministry. A lot of times people do that. They think, oh, cool, I want to be, be popular. You know, and, you know, popularity is, when I was a kid, it was like, yeah, I had friends, okay? Then now that I'm an adult, it's like if I'm going to be a loner for the rest of my life, I'm okay with that. You know, that's what's so cool about intimacy with Jesus Christ. It's like, man, you and the Lord, the Lord and you, you become one intimacy with him and you love him so much. And you think like, man, you know what? I want to die. I'm ready to die. But then all of a sudden the Lord taps on your heart. Okay. Yeah. You know what? In my time, I'll, I'll bring you home in my timing, but I got a job for you. I want you to do something. I want you to say something. See that guy over there? See that girl over there? I want to use you. Go say something to them. Go speak to them. Go speak truth to them. Go speak life to them. Can these dead bones walk? You know, Lord, you know. You know, thus saith the Lord. It's so beautiful how the Lord uses people. It's not a magic trick. It's the power of God. It's the moving of the Holy Spirit. But then you have these itinerant Jewish exorcists who take it upon themselves. You know, they don't have the word of God in them. They don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is dangerous for them. And that's what I say to you. If you're playing games with the Lord, if you're flirting with the Lord and you're playing games with them, if you're lukewarm or you want to be popular and, you know, say you have all these friends when really you're just faking it. This is what happens with a lot of pastors. They're like nerds. They're in grade school, middle school, middle school, high school, and they're just like the nerdiest of all nerds, which is fine, you know. But they have like no friends. They have like a pet cat that's their best friend. And they say, okay, you know, I'm a nerd and I need friends, so I'm going to go into ministry. I'm going to be a pastor and I'm going to have all these friends. Well, don't do that. I mean, if the Lord calls you, do that. 
But I mean, like, if you're looking for, like, friends and, like, socializing and a social gospel, no, the Word of God has to be in you. You know, don't be cool. It's not a popularity contest. Paul's, you know, Paul, the Lord is doing this work through Paul's handkerchiefs, Paul's aprons, unusual, unusual uh, uh, miracles that the Lord is doing. And you think, like, whoa, look how cool. People like this, so I'm going to do it too. That's what Simon did in, in Acts 8. Simon did the exact same thing. Oh, I want this power. I want this ability. Peter, how much does it cost? Peter, your money perish with you. Your money perish with you. Remember, Simon believed in Jesus Christ. And Peter says, your money perish with you. Simon, you're on your way to death. You're on your way to the perishing. You need to repent, Simon. You see, that's carnal behavior. Carnality in the church, leaven in the church. Intimacy with Jesus Christ omits leaven. It gets rid of leaven. And you know who cleans it? Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. He's the one who cleans. You could have a whole host of issues. You say, man, look, I got this. Look, I just did this yesterday. I just did this last week. I just did this last month. And... That's not just to dismiss all those things. It's a complete and total acknowledgement of those things and saying, look, you need to repent before the Lord. Take all those things and repent of them right here, right now. And be alive in Jesus Christ. Be dead to sin and be alive in Christ. That's called a new creation being born again. But if you try to fake it with the Lord, it's not going to work. Not only is it not going to work, it's going to be very, very dangerous. Look what happens here in verse um, 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. You see, they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't say in the name of Jesus Christ. They say by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. They're invoking the name of Jesus Christ. They're invoking Jesus without having a relationship with him, without even accepting him. You see how dangerous this is? They're playing a very dangerous game. And then look what happens here in verse 14. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. Foolish kids. You think like, oh, you know what? The chief priest, surely he has good kids, upright, upstanding kids. No, they're the worst. The sons of Siva. That's why, you know, you look at the PKs, you know, pastor's kids, MKs, missionary kids. You think like, wow, you know, look, their parents are so, you know, holy, so the kids must be holy. No, they're the worst. I shouldn't say the worst, but they get, they're just like every other sitting kid. They need Jesus Christ. A personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. Relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not by osmosis. You know, a, a, a dad has a strong relationship with Jesus and then it trickles to the wife, it trickles to the kids. No, each and every kid has to, the wife, the kid have to make a decision. If nobody in your home has a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're the heavy, you're the tip of the spear in your home. It's not by osmosis. You need to speak. Speak truth. And so look what happens here. You have these foolish kids, the seven sons of Siva. And Siva was the Jewish chief priest. And they did exactly the same as these itinerant Jews. In verse 15, this is why it's dangerous. 
And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? You see, because these people had no relationship with Jesus Christ, they have no power. Therefore, they are of absolute no threat. They're of no threat to the demonic realm. No threat to the evil spirit. Who are you? Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who in the world are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them. Remember, there's seven sons. And we don't know how many of the you know uh, 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 Jewish exorcists. Maybe there was two. Maybe there was three. We'll say three. But maybe there was five. But seven sons plus three, maybe two. Yeah, at least nine. Maybe ten men against one. Against one. I mean, you think, okay, ten guys against one piece of cake. You know, that one guy is toast. But no, we're talking about the demonic realm. One evil spirit. The man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them that you know this guy who the evil spirit was in he's just a vessel who knows how that evil spirit got inside that guy maybe he himself dabbled with uh, the occult we're gonna see there was a lot of occult practices there maybe he himself practiced with things of the occult and so the evil spirit says okay this is a heart that i want to call my home so the evil spirit went inside took over his body and this guy was demon possessed so you have 10 guys maybe nine Minimum, maybe 20 guys. But they lost. They lost the fight against one guy. That's carnally speaking. It wasn't a guy. They were fighting a demon. They were fighting an evil spirit. That leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them. So that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You see? Remember, because they have no relationship with Jesus Christ, they have no power and they are of no threat to evil spirits. How many people do you know like that? No relationship with Jesus Christ. Deep. No personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. No intimacy with Jesus Christ. But then they try to go out on the front lines. And what happens? They become overpowered and the evil prevails over them. You see it though? You see it. You don't we don't we don't need to have imagination to see these things. It's like, wow, you know what this happened with this guy? Did it happen with this lady? You see it. Thus fulfilling the things that we learn in Holy Scripture. Especially in regard to spiritual warfare. What these guys wanted to do, the, the, the foolish kids of Siva, the Jewish chief priest, and these itinerant Jewish exorcists, what they wanted to do, they couldn't do. But a handkerchief could do. But an apron could do. It was God doing the work. You see, it's God's power. It's very important to understand these things because as we get further into the last days, not only is it going to get darker and darker and darker, but evil is going to get amped up more and more and more and more. And where are the warriors? 
That's what I want to know. Where are the fighters? In the spirit. I'm not talking about beating a guy up. I'm talking about beating evil spirits up in the name of Jesus Christ. Casting demons out. Healing the sick. Where are they? Will the warriors please stand? That's what I want to know. Where are the warriors? It's almost like over the last decades, the church has been prepped for such a time as this. The church has been sung sweet satanic lullabies to cast us into a deep sleep when in the last days we need to be wide awake, on guard, ready for a fight, equipped for a fight. Many Christians today, many in the church today, aren't prepared for a fight. Many. That might be, that's probably an understatement. Many, if not most, are unprepared for a fight against evil spirits. You know who I blame? Pastors. 100% I blame pastors. Because they're not teaching. Even some pastors who say, Oh yeah, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago for that dispensation. It's not for today. You know how dangerous that is to the last day's believer? For a pastor to not equip the saints? You know how dangerous that is? I don't say, you know, you don't, it's not for 2,000 years ago, it's for today. Where in the Bible do you see an expiration date on the moving of the Holy Spirit? You don't. You will not find it. You won't find it. So you hear pastors, you hear teachers, so-called pastors, so-called teachers, parents teaching their kids these things. Oh yeah, kid, that's just, that was for 2,000 years ago. That was for that dispensation. You're killing the faith. If you play that game, you're killing faith. You're killing the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. You know what I say? To the parent who tells that to their kids, to the elder who tells that to God's people, to the pastor who tells that to God's people, you know what I say? Woe is you. Woe is you. If that's you, if you're a pastor listening to this, repent. You're a pastor, you're an elder, and you're listening to this, and that's what you've done to your, your church, your flock, God's people. Repent. Get your heart right with God. And then correct things. Get the people right with God. Equip them. Train them. Teach them how to fight. Maybe get somebody else because you need to learn how to fight too. The last days are going to be straight up insane. Insane. I might do a topical message about the rapture of the church because there's this, a lot of people, I have these conversations with people, I don't have to worry about it because I'm not going to be here. I don't have to worry about it because, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to be here. Whoa. That's dangerous. Very dangerous. So, maybe pray about it, you know, maybe. I'll pray about it. Um, let's look what happens here in verse 17. In closing, 
this became known. So what happened? It's like the, the evil spirit leaped, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known. Think of like 10 guys minimum. 10 guys minimum. You know, our old pastor in California, when we lived in Southern California, you know, he was a, a, a chaplain in LAPD. And so the LAPD, they meant to go arrest this old lady. And, you know, you know, the two guys, you know, a cop car pulls up and goes in to arrest this old lady. And they couldn't arrest her. She was too strong for them. And so they called for backup. So you have four guys now. They couldn't arrest her. And so one of them was a Christian. One of the cops was a Christian. He says, you know what? This, is some, some, this isn't right. It was just demonic. You know, he knew that it was demonic. So they called my pastor. And so the pastor, he came up there with the co-pastor. And so you have these two pastors going up. And they said, okay, clear the area. And cops get her aside. He talks to the Christian cop. says, okay, you go over here, You pray. And so, you know, he goes and they, they, the demon left. They go to the woman and they, you know, it was like exorcism. Straight up. It's like, you know, they cast the demon out. And so when the demon was gone, they talked to the old lady. She became a Christian right there. They talked to the old lady and they said, look, you know, you have to reap what you had sown. You're going to get arrested now. And so they called the cops. The cops came and they arrested her. They were able to put the cuffs behind her back. They put the cops in the front. They were able to put the cuffs on her. They couldn't do that before because the demon was in her. The evil spirit was in her. That's why, you know, when somebody is freed from an evil spirit, their body, when the spirit is gone, is oftentimes exhausted because of the they had no control over their body. And they're, they're, they're like exhausted. Mentally, mentally, emotionally, physically, they're just exhausted. Because they, they had been under like hardcore oppression, demonic oppression, demonic possession. You see, it's a lot of Christians aren't ready for this. Many, if not most, are not ready for this. Look at verse 17. This became known... Uh, both to Jews and Greeks. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. You know, this is a result of God, God moving God's hand. And people were freaked out. You see, there's a little element of the occult in Ephesus. Let's look at verse 18. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. So this is beautiful because you see the acknowledgement of sin. The acknowledgement of sin and not only the acknowledgement of sin to say, Lord, forgive me, I repent. On a large scale. You know, uh, repentance and faith in Jesus, it's the only remedy. It's the only remedy. Belief in Jesus Christ, repentance. And that's what you see happening here in Ephesus. Look at verse 19. In closing, also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. That's why you see Ephesus had a little occult problem. Just like you see the rise of the occult in our area, certain areas in the Pacific Northwest, Pacific Northwest certain areas in Seattle, uh, in, in Portland, even in San Francisco, there's a lot of like dark areas, 
you know, like neighborhoods that are like you see on their windows, you see businesses, and they all have like satanic symbols there. A lot of witchcraft in certain areas. That's what you see in Ephesus. Witchcraft. The practicing of magic. And look what they did. They brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. You know what this is? This is 200 men's annual wages. Annual wages. So you take a wage of, say, $40,000 a year, maybe $50,000 a year, maybe more, but just on average, you say $50,000 a year. You multiply that by 200, 200 men. You know what you get? 10 to $20 million. 10 to $20 million. And they burned it. I love that so much. They burned it all. Jesus cleans his own fish. You know, $10 million. Say it's $10 million in today's value. Maybe more, depending on what the wages were. And a lot of times people say, oh yeah, you know what? This is just going to cost me uh, uh, five bucks. No big deal. So yeah, I'll honor the Lord. But what about when something, when a sacrifice unto the Lord, when giving something up costs 10000 Will the Lord still be honored? Will the Lord still have honor in your heart? Oh yeah, it's just five bucks. No big deal. I can get make five bucks a piece of cake. Oh, it's just 20 bucks. No big deal. What about when it's 20,000? What about when it's 500,000? Will you still walk away? Will you still honor the Lord? You see? That's what I love so much about. It. Yeah, Ephesus had like a, you know, a cult problem. But the Lord deals with it too. With each individual they're so like they see what happened. They uh, in, in verse seventeen, fear fell on them all. In the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And they're like, "Wow, you know what? I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. Get this occult witchcraft stuff out of my house. Yeah, it was expensive, but I don't want this in my house. Get this satanic stuff out of here. This magic books. Get that out of here. Oh, but it's of high value." That book costs you $10,000. That book costs you $20,000. What about all the books together? Wow, that's $10 million. That's $20 million. And you guys are going to set it on fire? The carnal person would say, you know, that's stupid. But the spiritual person will rejoice. Because all, the Lord is cleaning house. The Lord is cleaning house. God is not mocked. He is not mocked. It's a piece of cake to honor the Lord when it's just five bucks. But what about when it's $100,000? Will you still honor the Lord? What about when it's your head? Will you still honor the Lord? We're going to have to come to grips with some very hardcore realities. If the events of the last days are like soon in our lifetimes, in this generation... There's a lot of things that the church today is going to have to come to terms with, come to grips with. And as an aggregate body, yielding to the word of God and being equipped from sound doctrine for this war, for this battle that's set before us. 
If you're not a warrior today, become one. If if you are a warrior today, rejoice. Get ready. We're about ready to fight. I'm at straight up hardcore warfare, spiritual warfare. You see, it's so beautiful. I love this so much. The Lord is cleaning house. Just straight up cleaning house. It says, and they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver, which equates to 200 men's annual wages. And so look what happens here in verse 20, closing. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Translates as strong, powerful, and victorious. That's what's happening with the word of the Lord. The word of the God grew mightily and prevailed. Strong, powerful, and victorious. Today's churches, what do you see? Today's churches, you see a lot of heads, a lot of people. There's no strength, no power, and no victory. I wish that weren't the case. But on a large scale, the in, in Christen, Christendom, what do you see? No strength, no power, no victory. That's what happens when the truth of God's word is omitted from a fellowship. Holy recipe. The holy recipe as outlined in Holy Scripture can never, ever, ever exclude the truth of God's holy word. It's a holy recipe. You know, another interesting note that we see here in the, in Ephesus, a lot of people today, you know, don't judge lest you be judged. Just love people to Jesus, which is fine. You know, you can show the love of God and you bring people to Jesus Christ and attract people to Jesus Christ. That You can do that. It's completely, entirely possible to love a person so much that you show them love and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I want this. This guy's the salt. This guy's the light. This lady's the salt. This lady's the light. And I want what he has. I want what she has. It's perfectly fine. But the Ephesian church, they were freaked out. They were terrified to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. This became known both to Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. They were terrified. Terrified, straight up. A lot of people say, oh yeah, don't don't talk about hell. Don't talk about, you know, God's wrath. Don't talk about, you know, the tribulation. Don't talk about the Antichrist. Don't teach. You know, pastors have even told me before, from a, a big church here in town, one of the pastors contacted me, wanted to do a little private study in the book of Revelation because he was going to do a study in Revelation. And so he wanted to have a little Bible study. And he ended up not teaching the full aspects of Revelation. You know the reason why? He didn't want to scare people. He didn't want to scare people. And it kills me. Because there are aspects of God's word the entirety of Holy Scripture that terrify me. <laughs> There's scary aspects. And people always say, oh yeah, just love people to Jesus. Don't talk about judgment. Don't talk about wrath. Don't talk about the Antichrist. Don't talk about the mark of the beast. Don't talk about Christians getting their heads chopped off. Don't talk about persecution. Don't talk about any of these things, events of the last days. Just love a person to Jesus Christ. Well, you know, we're at the age, we're at the stage in this global sphere where the events of the last days cannot be avoided cannot be avoided and there are some freaky aspects of it 
And if someone gets terrified to Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. Just so, such as the case with the church in Ephesus. They were freaked out and they were terrified to Jesus Christ. You know, whether a person comes to Jesus, Jesus Christ because of love or whether a person comes to Jesus Christ out of fear or whether a person comes to Jesus because they are straight up terrified, that's fine. My whole goal is to get somebody to Jesus Christ. You know, if you're not a Christian, if you're listening to my voice and you know you, you love Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. You're falling in love with Him. Praise be to the Lord. Come to Jesus. Accept Him as your Lord and Savior. If the things I'm saying terrify you and freak you out, praise be to the Lord. You know, come to Jesus Christ. Accept Him as your Lord and Savior. And it doesn't end there. Abide in Jesus Christ and He in you. You see? It's so beautiful. I, you know, it's if you come to Jesus Christ for whatever means, how by whatever means, whether it be out of an abundance of love or maybe an abundance of fear. For me, it was a little bit of both. It mixed in with shame. It was an abundance of fear, an abundance of love, and maybe even more so an abundance of shame. I just felt so filthy. Like I could take a million baths, a million showers, and have Brillo pads. And I would still be filthy because my filth was in my heart. And you know what happened? The Lord cleansed me. By His blood and the power of the Holy Spirit, He cleansed me from within. Deep within. And He'll do the same with you. And when you have the Word of God in your life, the Word of the Lord in your heart, the Word of the Lord in your mind, remember, the Word became flesh. When you have Jesus Christ in your heart and in your mind, just as is written here in verse 20, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That's my prayer for you. That as you grow in Christ, that you grow strong, that you grow powerful with the oil of the Holy Spirit, and that you're victorious. We're going to end our study here. And Lord willing, we'll pick up next week in verse 21. God bless you. Love you guys.